Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that in our restlessness, Father, we can run to you. And we know that we find comfort and rest in your presence. For you are the keeper of our hearts. So, Father, may we remember this. And, Father, may we leave here strengthened, Lord, because of that truth. And now we ask your blessing upon your word as we open it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you will take your Bibles now, let's turn to the book of Colossians. We're almost there. We're all getting close to the end of this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Colossae. <clears throat> so we are in chapter 4. And uh, we're going to look this morning at verses 2 through 6 together. 2 through 6. And as he's, Paul is wrapping up his letter, he's giving some final exhortation to all the people at Colossae. And remember, they were being persecuted. And for the gospel's sake, the Apostle Paul was in prison. So this is a prison epistle that he wrote while he was in uh, locked up in jail. And so he now is going to speak on two things in these few verses. One is prayer, and the other is the proclamation of the gospel. Prayer and the proclamation of the, the gospel. And I pray that we can each take something from this to apply to our lives this week. But if you look with me at verses 2 through 4, we'll read these verses together. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well, that God may open up for us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I have also been imprisoned, in order that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. So he begins here in verse 2 by exhorting the believer to devote themselves to prayer. That word devote in the Greek has the idea of con being continually steadfast. So, it, and, and when we think of the word devote, uh, it's, it's, not, it's not something that uh, means that we, we are doing every second of every day. But when we think of devotion, think of the things that you are devoted to in life or have been in the past. How many of you uh, are devoted to hunting? Raise your hand. Devoted to hunting. Don't be afraid to raise your hand. That's okay. You're not going to get in trouble for, for being devoted to hunting. It's not a bad thing to be devoted to these things, okay? And how many are devoted to shopping, ladies? Yeah, look, they're not raising their hands. Oh, yeah, I see the waves. 
They're going, okay, yeah, I guess. Um, you know, there are different things in life we're all devoted to. And this Greek word means to persevere in something. To don't give up on something, but really to, to devote ourselves to it, which means we, we make sure we take time uh, to do what, what means something to us. And I have to ask myself, how devoted am I to prayer? He's asking the church, devote yourself to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Notice what he's saying. He's saying, as you devote yourself to prayer, there's two things we must do. One is we must keep alert. Keeping alert for what is going on around us, understanding what Satan is doing, what's, and, and be alert for as we are in an evil generation and we are in the last days. And so we need to pray with alertness that we, we might truly be careful and watch that root meaning for alert means to, to be awake, to, to stay awake. It has the idea of a watchman, a military term, of a watchman on a wall looking out. And if you recall, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus went there to pray. And he asked his disciples to pray. And they stayed at a certain spot. And he said, stay and pray and be alert. When he came back to, to see what they were doing, what were they, where, what were they doing? Yeah, they were sleeping. Sometimes, you know, the body just, you know, they were in fear. They were in depression, sorrow for the cross that was going to come. And they didn't understand it all. And so sometimes we, we try and pray. And have you ever found yourself like just drifting off as you, as you start to pray something else comes to your mind maybe it's it's a heaviness of heart a concern a worry a trial you're going through and it's that time that it's even difficult to pray or to vote your devote yourself uh, to prayer and with thanksgiving with thanksgiving it's uh, it's easy for us to pray sometimes but forget to thank god for what he's doing in our life and what he's going to do as he watches over us and meets our every need. Uh, it's the natural thing to do when we come before the Lord, we ask. We ask, Lord, I need this. I need this. Please change this. Please me get, get me out of this, Lord. I, I don't think I can go much longer. But many times I find thanksgiving is missing in my heart and prayer to take the time say but Lord I want to thank you I'm asking but with a thankful heart for who you are and what you've done in my life see Paul is is trying to remind these believers that your Christian life must be surrounded by devoted prayer with thanksgiving and being alert. Turn with me to uh, Luke chapter 18. Let's go over to Luke 18. As the Lord Jesus 
gave a parable on prayer. Verse 1 of Luke 18. Verse 1, Luke 18. Now he, Jesus, was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray. And what's next? Not lose heart. How many of you have been losing heart in your faith battle? In the, faith, in your, the battle of your life as the enemy has come upon you and all kinds of trouble has, has arisen and Satan is just going after you and trying to sift you like wheat. And what happens is we start to lose heart. But just as Sarah beautifully sung about, he, the Lord, is the keeper of our heart. He will protect us. But I've got to go to him persistently in prayer. And talking about being devoted to prayer, we see in this parable a woman who was doing just that. Verse 2, saying, There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God, did not respect man. And there was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him, saying, Give me legal protection from my opponent. And for a while he was unwilling. But afterward, he said to himself, Even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Lest by continually coming, she wears me out. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now shall not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them speedily. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Here the Lord Jesus is talking about the believer crying out to God for justice in their life. And as we see the events unfold in Israel and the Middle East, we see suddenly their world changed in an instant, in one day. A week ago Saturday, I don't know where all you were when you heard the news that suddenly Hamas had sent all these rockets, over 3,000, into Israel to try and annihilate the people of Israel. And so now the people of Israel, the nation of Israel, wants justice. They want justice. Sadly today, that we have protests going on today, yesterday, uh, and ever since it happened, protests, protesting Israel, but cheering on Hamas for what they did. Now, how you, your mind can absolutely wrap, wrap yourself around that, I don't know, to accept that for the atrocities that were done. But here we know that people are praying in Israel, and we, we need to pray for the church in Israel. 
We need to pray for the believers that are there that are going through this suffering, as well as believers uh, who are Palestinian and the, the underground church there. Because if you're in a Muslim nation, a Muslim community, you're basically, as a, if you're a believer, you're underground. And they are, the church is being afflicted as well. But we want to pray that the gospel will be proclaimed and go forth through this disaster, through this tragedy, praying for the nation of Israel. We know what the Bible says, what God says about the end times, that he is going to allow persecution to come upon the nation of Israel, that they might turn to the Messiah, that they might turn to Jesus Christ and find hope in him and him alone. So let us pray that the Jewish people would suddenly in this, in this sudden turmoil, look for truth, look to the Bible and that the God, they might hear the gospel, they might read the gospel and it will go forth. And that's what the apostle Paul is concerned about here back in Colossians. Turn back with me then, if you would. Turn back to Colossians chapter 4. And by the way, the, the Lord Jesus, when he spoke about prayer, he spoke about perseverance, of course, to persevere. But he said many other things about prayer. One, he said, don't be like the hypocrites and pray, try and make men notice you in your prayers. But go into a closet and pray before your Lord who sees you in secret. And then Jesus also spoke against those who prayed in repetition. Long prayers. The, the Pharisees would sing, uh, say long prayers and they would say the same prayers over and over again. And basically... Uh, it, they were, Jesus said, those are meaningless prayers because it wasn't coming from the heart. Um, back in the uh, 1600s, when King Charles was king over England, and England was, a, was a, at that point was a Protestant nation. The Church of England was Protestant. But the, the countries surrounding it, France and Spain, were Catholic, mostly. And... King Charles, who was sitting on the throne in England, he married a wife from France who was a Roman Catholic. And so she came over and sat on the throne with King Charles. Well, she had influence on him to change some of the things in the country to, to sway them to accept more Roman Catholicism, their ways of worship, and so much so that the Archbishop of England, uh, along with uh, her, Henrietta Maria, who was the queen, uh, urged the king, King Charles, to change something in the churches. What did he do? He took the book, it's called the Book of Common Prayer. And he, he had Bibles, the King James Version, printed but with that Bible, he had printed with it the Book of Common Prayer. So it was all in one book. So when uh, 
those, those Bibles were handed out and taken to the churches and the bishops in the churches in England as well as in uh, Scotland, they started to read the scriptures. There was in the front of the book, in front of each Bible, a letter from the King, the King Charles requiring every church, every pastor, every person to read the book of common prayer, which means repetition. Which meant completely keep, keep every Sunday, read the same prayers that are in the book over and over and over again. That it became just meaningless repetition, which is exactly what was happening in the church uh, in Rome, the Catholic church. And so now I came here. Well, suddenly, when that hit Scotland, who were devout Protestants, and uh, they, as soon as that book was brought into, the Bible was brought into the churches, the people got so angry, they grabbed the books, they tore the Bibles apart and threw away and burned the, the Book of Common Prayer. And that basically caused Scotland to make war with England. And then you have the rest of the story. Uh, when we talk about repless, uh, uh, a meaningless repetition, that's a, a picture of it there and what it can cause. And Paul is saying here, you want to be devoted to prayer, keeping alert with an attitude of thanksgiving. But he, uh, the uh, repetitious praying is not what he has in mind here. And then verse 3, he says, Praying at the same time for us as well. So initially he asks them to pray for themselves and for their own lives and things in their life. But praying at the same time for us as well. Who's us? It's Paul and his fellow uh, missionaries who are carrying forth the gospel. But what did he ask them to pray for? Pray that God may make Away, that God may open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I also have been imprisoned in order that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. What is Paul saying here to them? He's saying to the church and to us today, Pray that God would open up doors for the gospel, more doors for the gospel. And he said, it's because of the doors that were opened for the gospel that I'm sitting here in this prison now. But I am giving thanks to God because God allowed me to be worthy enough to suffer for him. And so he says, continue to pray that we have more opportunities to share the word of God, to preach the word of God, to to, to share, and he calls it, speak forth the mystery of Christ. Do you remember when we were looking earlier at Paul using this term, the mystery of Christ, what he was talking about? This was a mystery that was hidden from the ages. All through uh, uh, years past, through the Old Testament, uh, the mystery of Christ was hidden until Christ came, died, buried, rose again from the dead, and then sent his Holy Spirit to the church. So the mystery, Paul said, of Christ is Christ in you, Christ in me. 
the miraculous act of the God of the universe residing in human flesh in your heart and mind. And so this was the mystery that I could be filled with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. He can control me. He can work in me. And so this is what Paul is, is speaking of when he says the mystery of Christ. And of course, the only way that happens is through the preaching of the gospel. Notice then what he says there in verse four. You know, pr pray for the open doors in order that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Now, why would he ask for prayer concerning the way he would preach the gospel? Don't you just preach pretty much the same way all the time? No, Paul understood that sharing his faith and sharing the gospel many times needed certain words and a certain way to, to proclaim the gospel according to his audience, where he was. If you recall, when he was in Greece and, and he was on Mars Hill and all these Greeks were worshiping these, all these gods. And so he had to speak a certain way. He didn't come in like he would with the Jews sometime and saying, you crucified Christ and come with a hammer. No, he came to them gently and he said, I see you have a, a statue here for what's called the unknown God, the unknown God. And that was uh, the, the Greeks had a statue for or, or a plaque for the unknown God because they wanted to make sure they didn't miss any gods in, in worship. So they had all, they had Venus and, and, and Zeus and all these other ones. But in, just in case they missed a god, they made, it, made a, uh, an altar for the unknown god. And from that, the, the Apostle Paul was gently able to say, I know who this unknown god is. And gently he shared the gospel and people would come to Christ. I know that there are, there are ways where a preacher can get up and uh, preach with power the gospel. I think of Billy Graham and the way God used him from the pulpit. How many were ever at a Billy Graham crusade? Do you, have you been there? Yes. I remember way back when my parents took me and I went as a child. And if you saw him on television, uh, nobody could preach like Billy Graham. He, he, it was the cross, and, and he preached with power and boldness. And yet, the way he preached from a pulpit sometimes may not be the way we should preach to a neighbor or to a co-worker or to a family member in that, that we're seeking to win to Christ. We don't come pounding and saying, you need to be saved. You're going to hell if you don't. And come on really strong. This is what Paul is talking about. He's saying, I've got, I've got to know through the Holy Spirit. Uh, make, uh, let him make it clear what I am to speak. How I am to say the, share the gospel and what words to put together. And so then that, that leads us to 
5 and 6. So then he, he's now, as he's talking about asking prayer for himself as he shares the gospel, that he might do it in the right way, according to those he's around and what, what culture and people. Verse 5, he then says, Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Now he's talking to the Christian in the church and saying, now I want you to, when you go out there and you're a witness for Christ, conduct yourselves, your behavior, your lifestyle with wisdom. Making the most of the opportunities. And he uses the phrase outsiders. That, of course, when he uses that word, he's speaking of unbelievers. And I have to look at myself, look in the mirror, and I have to look at how I have been living before the world outside. And have they seen Jesus in me? Have they seen his love in me? Have they seen his compassion in me? And many times they have not because I failed the Lord. And I realized, Lord, I haven't allowed you to control me, that I'm not produ- I didn't produce today the fruits of the Spirit that you long to produce through me. But I'm, I get selfish or I, 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 I allow my, my, the old nature to, to kind of get control and I lose my temper. Did any of you lose your temper this week? Think about it. Think about it. Was there something that set you off? Maybe someone was around who didn't even know the Lord. And they saw your temper. They saw your anger. What do you think of, of blowing your top around an unsaved person? And then right after you do that, go, oh, by the way, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me, you, Yeah. Let me tell you about the peace that that Jesus gives. Let me tell you about the forgiveness Jesus gives. How do you think he's going to receive that that witness? Of course not. That would be ludicrous. It would be ridiculous to do that. And yet that's exactly what happens. We lose our testimony by the way we respond to the world out there. You know, and we should not be confronting them with great argument. And, and uh, yes, there are times to defend the gospel. We defend our faith. We are to do that. But there are, there are ways to do it and ways to share. And one way is through my loving attitudes and gracious words. And God will give me wisdom to make the most of the opportunities that I have out there until he returns for me. And that brings us verse 6. He then says, let your speech always be seasoned with, uh, as it were, with salt. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should respond to each person. Now he's going to flip it to them. He asked for prayer that he might say the right words when he is a witness in preaching the gospel. Now he says, 
Now let your speech, and he's talking about them and their, and uh, their relationships with outsiders, with unbelievers. He's saying, let your speech, be careful what you say. Let your speech always be with grace. Be gracious, seasoned with salt, so you may know how to respond to each person. When he says know how to respond to each person, that means that I'm not going to speak to each one the same exact way. But I have to see where I am, where they are, where their needs are, where their emotions are, and then speak to them the gospel and to share with them this gospel. Share with them the, the, the wonderful news of the Lord Jesus Christ, but there's a way to do it. There's a way to do it. And he uses the term seasoned, as it were, with salt. Seasoned, as it were, with salt. Now, we, if you look into the scriptures, uh, salt has been used uh, to, as, as a symbol or metaphor uh, for spiritual things. And, of course, we know the Lord Jesus uh, used it himself when he said, you are the salt of the earth. Or he said, salt is good, but if the salt has lost his saltiness, if the salt has lost his saltiness, uh, what will you season it with? He says, have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. It's interesting, when you look back in the Old Testament, what salt meant back then. Turn with me to Leviticus chapter 2 real quick, okay? Leviticus 2, verse 13. Leviticus 2.13. It's interesting that... Salt was used and known when, coven, when covenants were made between people, okay? And there are three scripture verses where it mentions in the Old Testament the covenant of salt. And we'll explain why, what, why salt, what does salt have anything to do with a covenant that you make with someone? Well... Look at verse 13. Here is what God told the Israelites to do. And every grain offering of yours, moreover, you shall season with what? Salt. So that the salt of the covenant of your God shall not be lacking from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. Did you ever know that? That God required the Jews to use salt in their offering. And it represented the salt of his covenant. And so we would think, well, how, why would God use salt? And, 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 and be, that would, he would use that as a symbol of a covenant. Turn, turn now quickly to 2 Chronicles, okay? 2 Chronicles 13, verse 5. 2 Chronicles 13, 5. 
And here it concerns David. Second Chronicles 13, and we'll pick it up at verse 5. Do you not know that the Lord God of Israel gave the rule over Israel forever to David and his sons by, what's next? A covenant of salt. By a covenant of salt. God made a covenant of salt with David. Okay, so what does this symbol mean? Why, why would God use this? Well, what do you know about salt? What does salt do? Well, there are basically two things that when we talk about our speech seasoned with salt, there are two things that salt basically does, right? One, in the ancient times, it was used to preserve, preserve food. They didn't have refrigeration or things like that. So they would put all their food and things and, and, and bury it in salt. And that salt would preserve any, any food that they had. <clears throat> and, the, the, and they would go down to the Dead Sea. And that's where they harvested a lot of salt from the Dead Sea. And so in the, in the Middle East, salt was a, a crucial uh, ingredient in, in, in all aspects of life. It was a preservative. And that is the idea behind the covenant of salt with God. That God is saying, my covenant is permanent. I'm preserving this promise I'm making to David. That he and his descendants will rule on that throne forever. And so that's why we read the salt, the covenant of salt. It, it has the idea of God's faithfulness. And God remains faithful to you and to me. And we can trust his promises and not be afraid of whatever comes our way. Because I know God is faithful. And therefore, he has basically made a covenant of salt with each and every one of us through the blood of Jesus Christ. And I can stand upon that. The other thing about salt here as we close is salt brings, of course, flavor to your foods. How many of you put salt on your food? How many? Oh, there, there you go. Okay. You can answer that. Um, yes. So you, you like to put salt. It's funny how you're at a, at a restaurant or something and someone just takes the salt and, and, and they never stop. Empty the salt shaker practically. Some people just got to have tons of salt. And that's how, to them, it tastes good. But then some of you can't eat salt products, right? You, you're not supposed to eat salt. And so you eat that bland, bland food. Maybe it's because of a heart condition, a health condition. So no salt for you. So what, what was that stuff they call no salt? Is that what it is? You gotta, it's, it's a fake salt. And you, you, the, the people can use that, but it's not the real thing. But you try and eat food without salt, and yuck. You know, you just, I can't eat that. But you add that salt, it's seasoned. 
It brings flavor and taste. This is what the Apostle Paul, why the Apostle Paul is using this here. He's saying, when you speak the gospel to outsiders, when you and I have the opportunities to live out our faith, to share our faith, what comes out of my mouth must come with grace, which means gentleness, seasoned with salt, which means it must have a good flavor. It must taste good to the person that is receiving it. That when I share the gospel, yes, they, they, they might disagree. They might say, I don't want any part of it. But there are others, if the, in the way, with the help of the Holy Spirit, the way we share our faith in the gospel, that can win people over to Christ because we are doing it out of love and the words we say and how we say them uh, is so crucial and important. And notice what he says. So go back with me very quickly to Colossians 4. Notice he said at the end of verse 6. So this is why he has added this seasoned as it were with salt. So that you may know how you should respond to each person what is he saying that means you don't talk the same way to each person you don't you don't just come out and have it all memorized and, and just kind of throw it out there and maybe you throw it with some you know uh, boldness and anger and whatever and we tr we we share the gospel the same way with everybody no he's asking us to be wise and understand the person we are dealing with where they are and how to share the message. And God will give us wisdom to do just that. It's a, it's a beautiful thing when you see the, a believer share his faith and share the gospel with grace. With grace. Maybe some of you came to Christ because of a Christian that shared the gospel with you with grace as it were seasoned with salt. May you and I go forth today, and this week we have the opportunities God is going to give us. Let's ask God for more opportunities for our church to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim God's truth here at the church, in our ministries, in our school, and but then one-on-one -on -one as we go out, that this week we might say, Lord, season my speech with salt. In other words, let me, my words, be uh, something that will uh, be received and welcomed by those who I share it with, because it will take, my words will taste good to them. Oh, that God might use us that way. Let's pray together. As we bow before the Lord this morning, dear friend, if you are a believer today, would you look into your heart and be honest with yourself and with God? And perhaps your words have not been gracious, seasoned with salt. The way you share your faith, the way you speak in front of those who do not know Christ. Would you right now just say, Lord, change my words. Control my words. Give me the words to say that would go forth 
with pleasantness, Lord, that those who hear the gospel from me and see it in my life might be drawn to you because of it. Would you make that commitment, Christian, this morning concerning your speech and that you might say, Lord, I want to be more devoted to prayer. Praying for those who are sharing the gospel and the missionaries around the world, Lord, that they might have greater opportunities, Lord, for an open door. Father, use each one of us, Lord, for that purpose. And Father, I pray, Lord, for any who are here without Christ, that they might open their heart to him and receive him by faith right now. And with heads still bowed and eyes closed, if you have never asked Jesus to be your Savior, would you do it right now? Right where you sit, it's just by faith. Nothing else but believe on the Lord Jesus Christ who died for you on the cross, shed his blood for your sins, and he will forgive you of every sin and he'll robe you in his righteousness right now. You can become a child of God. Would you make that decision now? Just pray a simple prayer like this with me now. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I'm sorry for my sin. I believe you died on that cross for me. You took the punishment for my sin. Come into my heart right now and wash my sins away. I receive you today as my very own Savior. Thank you for dying for me and rising from the dead, Lord Jesus. And if you prayed that prayer, Jesus entered your life. You are now a child of God. Welcome to the family. Heavenly Father, thank you again for your marvelous truth. And Father, may we be that salt of the earth that you said we, we are. And that we might be willing to love and share with the dark world out there, Lord. That Jesus is the way. And may we do it with graciousness. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.